Welcome to the Kindling's Muse podcast, an intelligent, imaginative, hospitable exploration of ideas that matter in contemporary life. Well, welcome everyone. It is good to have you here on a beautiful night. Um, my name is Jeff Cuse, the host and executive director of the Kindlings Movement. Uh, we welcome you here at the Kindlings Muse here at Hales Brewery and Pub. We're gathered here on a sold-out Advent evening in the historic Upper Room here in the heart of Fremont, joining our hearts and minds together as we reflect on the Christmas season at the end of what has been a rather eventful year, as we'll talk about in a minute. It is a season of joy. It's also a time filled with expectation, both in light and dark. And tonight, as we enter into our show together, we're going to be hearing a lot of art, a lot of music. And to get us started off, I'm going to begin with some words from the poet Mary Oliver, um, who writes in her poem, The First Snow, the following words. The snow began here this morning and all day continued. It's white rhetoric everywhere calling us back to why, how, whence, such beauty and what the meaning, such an ocular fever flowing past windows, an energy it seemed that would never ebb, never settle, less than lovely. And only now, deep into night, it has finally ended. The silence the, um, is immense, and the heavens still hold a million candles and nowhere the familiar things, stars, the moon, the darkness we expect and nightly turn from. Trees glitter like castles of ribbons, the broad filled smolder in the light, and a passing creek bed lies heaped with shining hills. And though the questions that have assailed us all day remain, not a single answer has been found. Walking out now into the silence and the light under the trees and through the fields, feels as one. What answers can we hope for this Christmas season? Though questions, as Mary Oliver has said, uh, said to us, assail us all our day long. Well, tonight we're going to gather together as our panel and with our singers to discover what we can find in this new season together of Christmas and as we think through the year that has been and the year that is to come. Uh, tonight, let me introduce our panel to you that we have um, directly on my left for those that are here in, um, in our audience as well as for those in the podcast is Shannon Sigler. Shannon is Assistant Director of the Fuller Institute for Theology and Northwest Culture. She has served as a faculty member in Theology and the Arts, as well as an artist in residence and is the past Assistant Director of Christians in the Visual Arts. So let's give it up for Shannon Sigler. Also on our panel tonight is Jeffrey Overstreet, a regular voice for us and a guide through the myriad of things in our culture. He is a film critic and author. Um, he brings with him a great... Uh, tradition of thinking about movies and film and song. He's currently engaged in an ongoing discussion on, uh, on, on his website with regards to listening closer as far as listening to songs more deeply and intentionally. And as also his memoir, Engaging Film Through a Screen Darkly, would make a great Christmas gift this season. He says, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Let's give it up for Jeffrey Overstreet. On my right is Hearth alum and panelist Anna Miller. Anna holds her Master of Divinity degree and has been active in the Kindling's Music for a number of years and is a regular panelist with us every month here at the Kindling's Muse. She has a background that includes improvised theater with Jet City Improv and dinner detective murder mystery as well as vocal performance. Let's give it up for Anna. Yeah. 
One of the things that Christmas is about is about music as much as it is about words. And we are so grateful tonight to be joined as our special guest at the Kindling's Muse, uh, this, the local supergroup, Hannah Lee. Um, uh, right, we got fans in the audience as well. Um, I'd like you guys to introduce yourselves before we get jump in. So, Hannah Lee, go for it. Sure, we're called Hannah Lee. I'm Mike Nodder. This is Annalisa Nodder, my lovely and pregnant wife. And that's Fidelia on the end. It's awkward. Not we do shows, and, and it seems like every time, uh, if Annalisa isn't pregnant, Fidelia is. And since there's only three of us up here, people get real confused. But it's, it's not, not that confusing at the heart of it. We'll just go ahead and say that now. Uh, are we free to start? Yes, yeah, so, so let's jump right in with our first song from Hanley. All right. Yeah, this is a very serious number, so yeah, everybody, bear with us. Take a moment. That's it's fine. a Christmas tune that we've been trying to use to teach our daughter to behave, and she's two and a half, mm -hmm. and it's not working, but we're going to play <laughs> it for you trying. now. But nothing does at two and a half. <laughs> Better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town, gather round. He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're away. He knows if you've been bad or good, so Don't be, be good, good for goodness sake. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Little tin horns and little toy drums, Rudy Toot Toot and Rummy Tum Tums. Santa Claus is coming to town. Early head dolls, the toddle and coo, elephants, boats, and kitty cars too. Santa Claus is coming to town. The kids and girls in Boyland will have a jubilee. They're gonna build a toyland town all around the Christmas tree. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to For goodness sake, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Cause Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming. I mean the big fat man with the long white beard. He's coming to town.
thank you so much. We're going to be hearing more from them later as we go through the show. So we're closing out the year 2015. We are deep into the 21st century. And as we draw the curtain on the year, and particularly in the season of Advent, it has been an eventful year politically, culturally, and spiritually. Uh, as we look back um, on the headlines that have filled our news with racial violence, with economic uncertainty, with war still raging, the question comes as we kind of finish out the year, you know, what have we seen that have kind of activated our thinking and thoughts? And so, I'm, and I'm going to turn to you first. Um, a lot of your work in the past has been working on the question of racial reconciliation and uh, intercessory prayer. Um, as you kind of come to the end of this year, what are some things that you're bringing into the close of the year? Into the close of the year, I mean, I did listen back to our show last year, just a few days ago, ago, and um, that was shortly after my first protest that I'd ever attended down in downtown Seattle with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and kind of thinking about where I am at today, I think I've moved um, deeper into what does it look like to pray? What does it look like to intercede? Um, what does it look like to worship for and alongside um, the brokenhearted, alongside the disenfranchised? Um, and I'm still kind of struggling with that. You know, what does it look like? Um, I have started a small group called Intercessors for Justice, um, and we meet monthly to pray around issues of racial reconciliation and racial healing, particularly in Seattle, but also um, just throughout the United States. And it's kind of a, a fledgling group right now, you know, a handful of us anywhere between four to 15, 20 meet every month. And I believe that intercession is doing something, but maybe to the grander um, scheme of things that doesn't look like much is happening. Um, but I'm seeing this turn between um, highlighting what is negative, highlighting, it's kind of when, when God points out something that's wrong in your life and you think, oh gosh, everything's so bad and terrible right now, but actually he's highlighting that so that it can be turned around um, because that's the area that he wants to bless. Um, that's the area that growth needs to happen. And I see that happening nationally right now through different ministers, through different churches, through different organizations really coming together around um, social injustices that have been present in our nation since our nation began. Yeah, and Shannon, your work has been really finding the intersection with artists and finding how do they describe kind of what's going on in our culture. What are some things you're hearing from the artists you work with and kind of working alongside as we kind of wrap up the year? What are themes that you've seen kind of come together for this year for you? That's a really good question. Um, to give you a little background, my family this year in 2015, the big marker for us is that we moved halfway across the country. Um, a couple years ago, we were in Boston and um, spent the last two years in Kansas, and then this summer moved to Seattle. So we've traversed a lot of cultures uh, in this past few years, and I've talked with a number of artists from a multiplicity of arenas and areas all over the United States. And I think a common voice, if that is even possible um, in the art world, is creating spaces. Um, that's, that's a bit vague. But in our political and cultural and even theological climate in the United States, I feel like the artist's voice is creating spaces where people with vast differences can dwell together. Um, even on Facebook, I've seen our artists speak as prophets in a lot of ways by simply posting an image or a quote, a segment of a poem um, that might bring a common language 
to people who really differ in this climate. Um, again, it's really hard to boil down the voices of artists because all artists fancy themselves completely individual. Um, but I believe the heart of the artists of faith that I have encountered this year are creating a place where we can dwell together through the artwork. Yeah. And intersecting with what Anna was bringing up as far as the big themes that have been really populating, particularly the U.S. political spectrum with regards to issues of race, um, real tension around that. Do you feel like the artists have stepped into that space or have they created a space other than that space? Um, you know, wh where have you seen that direction go? That's a really good question with the race question. Um, I don't know a whole lot of artists who are dealing with race um, in particular, but um, a young woman I've recently met, her name is Erica Siganek, and she's actually getting her um, MFA right now at the University of Washington, has dealt with the theme of redemption. Um, and she does some really beautiful portraits, um, hyper-realistic portraits of people's faces or segments of people's faces with water flowing down the front. Um, very intentionally um, multi-ethnic faces. And so you'll see on her website all of these thumbnails of all of these really individual faces. But the common theme is the water flowing down the face, um, obviously signifying redemption and baptism. Um, but her work is very powerful and many of them are quite large. Um, so she's someone I've met recently who creates that neutralized space and recognizing that we all have the same need um, and it's, it equalizes that conversation for us. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Jeff, as you kind of think about the year ending as well, what are some things you're coming to the end of the year as far as some of your work in writing, reflecting on media that's been going on, and even your, your own graduate work in MFA? What are some things you're bringing to the end of the year? Yeah, I've done a lot less writing about the art that's coming out and a lot more memoir writing this year for school. Um, but it's been an interesting year to do that because it has seemed to me, and maybe this is just because this is where my attention has been going for school, but it has seemed to me sort of like a, a Rashomon year, a year where... And to tell our audience a little bit about who, when we talk about Rashomon, what do we... What do we um, well, the, the film Rashomon, uh, you know, a terrible thing happens and then the film is broken into the different perspectives, which seems so entirely different on what really happened. Uh, but it has seemed like the kind of year where, as I'm trying to tell the truth about my experience, I look at media, and terrible things are happening in the world, clearly, but there are such wildly different voices and interpretations of that. And so it has seemed to me like a year of watching some people learn to discern the authenticity and quality and truth of certain voices. I think that's been interesting to watch because in the media you're, you're seeing more and more voices rise to authority and more and more voices become just sort of personalities as people try to figure out, well, I have all these resources available to me. I, I have film of what the police were doing in this situation, so I can, I can see that for myself. Um, we have testimony from so many people about whether or not Tom Brady really deflated those footballs or not. We have, you know, whether it's race or refugees or whatever, you now have so many voices you can turn to. And you can either go to these voices and discern, and I think we, we are in a position now where we can do that more than ever. Or you can react and, and circle your wagons and back up and say, well, what are my people saying? And get tribal about it. And so what, as that happens, I've seen some really discouraging things, obviously. I think we all know, can think of examples of that. 
but I've also seen some really encouraging things. The films that are rising to the top right now, Spotlight is looking like a big Oscar contender, and it's a film about investigative journalism and finding the truth. Mad Max is looking like a big Oscar contender, and that, as action movies go, is a very raw, apocalyptic story about, frankly, human trafficking. No, no pun on the word traffic, but they're smuggling people out of, human, of slavery. So many of these issues are coming to the fore of our storytelling right now that it just feels like this age of uh, accessibility to, to resources of authority and verifying what really happened is having an immediate effect on the kind of art that we're paying attention to. The, the, the lyrics of the Kendrick Lamar album seem like they must have been written yesterday on the street, you know, about what was happening there. Um, so one of the most encouraging trends in this for me is that we are learning to turn to comedians as perhaps the most trustworthy voices of truth. Because truth can go there. Truth can go to where we can laugh at ourselves and find humor in even the worst things. So we go to John Oliver last week tonight, and we get a sense of authenticity and truth that we don't get from those sources that seem so afraid, that seem so unable to um, find some, some note of hope or grace in all of this. So not only are comedians rising to the top, which I think is encouraging for Christians, because we should be able to, to laugh if we have faith, um, but that voices with very specific religious perspectives are rising to the top in comedy. Stephen Colbert, for example, who is not at all afraid to talk about uh, his Catholicism uh, in David Letterman's chair. I mean, that's amazing. Um, and then you get folks like Marilyn Robinson, who's not a comedian, but she's on the cover of uh, the New York Review of Books, being interviewed by President Obama and speaking very openly about her faith there. And so I think that this is this rise of humor as a source of truth, strangely, is opening doors for voices of faith to speak with authority in a way that they haven't before. And I think that may give people a chance to sort of second guess their prejudice against religion because of the way they've seen it portrayed uh, in previous years. So I don't know if any of that came together to make sense, but I, I'm just really encouraged yeah. by the fact that voices of faith that, that have enough hope to be able to laugh are the voices we are turning to or those people who are willing to entertain a variety of opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the voices they're turning to. And I think that's a really interesting trend. Well, and one of the things that, you know, it, from all of your comments that have been made has been, you know, we are in this season where the question of what is faith and what is certainty you know, continues to go to, the, go to the surface, right? You know, do we know the events that happened on that street with that officer or in that gang? And do we have recorded evidence, yes or no? What is the trustworthy source by which we hear that? Um, can we trust artists? You know, can our, are artists merely just working with our emotions, or are they actually framing reality in a way that we need to be seen? So do I push back, or do I trust it? Right? Do I do I trust you know comedic voices when they're on there? You know, does everything degenerate into sarcasm, or is there something that's prophetic? You know, to use Shannon's term in that. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for us to hold on to in a season of Advent. You know, how does this season, as we prepare for the coming of Christ in this time of year, as we move closer and closer to that, I mean, Adventium is to be waiting, 
you know, is, is waiting for something. Not to, not to say this is what's going to happen, but let's wait and see what does happen, right? And I think that's one of the things that's interesting about this time of the year, as I come to the end of it as well, has been this is not the end of the year I expected. <laughs> this is not what I thought would happen. Um, I did not think that, for example, we'd have, you know, talk show personalities who would actually be the voice of faith um, in ways that would just blow my mind apart. Um, and one of the most memorable interchanges on the internet this year for me as at a year end was Bill Maher and Stephen Colbert, where Bill Maher has famously been a, uh, a new atheist, somebody who's, you know, sees his responsibility is to take down faith and show its lack of certainty. Yet the winsomeness of Stephen Colbert, this comedic voice, who unapologetically allows Bill Maher to literally attack him on, on a public stage about his faith, and he opens himself up to it and is willing to say, I don't know everything, but this is what I do know and live. Um, so we live in an interesting age where faith is kind of coming in some kind of exciting ways. Um, I, I was going to ask, Shannon, uh, back to you a little bit uh, more about artists on this way. Um, do you find that the tendency in art that you're seeing, and I, you know it's really hard to codify this, but as you see artists that you work with and, con and converse with and kind of some of the work that you've done, is there optimism or is it, or is it going towards darkness? Do you see things like in light or darkness? Where are some of the, and I know there's always both, but what are some of the themes you're seeing as we come um, to the end of the year? You know, in the realm of the artist of faith, someone who would profess to be a Christian, I think there's both. I think we're probably 50-50. And part of that is um, the diversity in calling. I think, I think artists are called to tell a part of the story. And when you look at the work of multiple artists, you see the full story. So some people are told are called just to tell the story of the crucifixion, and then others are told are called to tell the story of the resurrection. And I think artists also go through seasons where they do one thing or the other. Um, I actually listened to a podcast recently. Um, I'm a big fan of On Being with Krista Tippett, and I probably shouldn't mention another podcast on a podcast. Oh, no, no, we're good friends. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so it's good. all good. It's all good. You and Krista yeah. are tight. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. fist bump point. All okay, right, yeah, good. Um, anyway, so I'm a big fan of hers, and I'm also a big fan of the artist Anne Hamilton. Um, and many of you may have heard of, of Anne Hamilton. She um, began as a textile artist. Her MFA is in textiles. Um, but as her career has progressed, um, she's become what she calls a maker, and I would call her a cultivator of spaces. So back to what I was talking about earlier, in um, artists making spaces for community and for conversation, um, spaces that are equalizing and common. So I was listening to her interview with Krista Tippett on, on Being, and I was taking notes, um, which is kind of a nerdy thing to do. But... Um, so sitting there, I was folding laundry, I was taking notes on this thing, and then I started looking at my notes uh, right after, and they actually look like a poem. Um, just even the way they're laid out on this page right now look like a poem. So um, Anne Hamilton was telling the story of how she became an artist and her influences as an artist, and it all came back to her relationship with her grandmother. This is a really long answer to your question. But I'm actually going to read my notes as if they were a poem. So some of these are my summations of um, what the conversation was about. And some of these are direct words from Anne. Um, but what I want you to think about when I read this is the crises in our world. So the refugee crisis, um, the race crisis, the religion crisis, the political crisis. And then think about your own life um, and how you live in it and how you embody where you are. Um, and I'm just going to read these first few words. Embodied knowledge, 
grandmother's lap, needlepoint and reading aloud. The thread of her words meets the thread of her hand's activity and the cerebral space and the physical space engulf me as I am tucked under my grandmother's arm. Trust the thing that you can't name. Cultivate a space that allows you to dwell in that not knowing. The thread has to come out and it comes out at its own pace. So those are probably the most poetic notes I've ever taken. <laughs> I really don't feel like I can take credit for any of that because I was really just writing down things other people were saying. Um, but as I've ruminated on it the past few days, it's really become an important thing to think about. So how do artists create this space um, where embodiment is important and word is important? And, and after all, that's what Advent is about. It's the right. word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So how do we experience that in our own lives? And how do we think about our world's problems in that way? It reminds me in, in many ways of what um, you have with regards to the call of Mary to, you know, cloister immensity in her womb, you know, to use, you know, to, to, use, to use that language. Um, and also it reminds me also um, a desert father of the, the fifth century, Abba Felix, who, who talked about that we need to create a space where obedience to truth can be practiced. Um, and so artists are trying to do that, right? They're trying to cultivate those spaces, you know, open up apertures for us to see more broadly, more deeply. Certainly that's what we're seeing in the films that we're hearing and seeing as well as the music of the era. Yeah, Anna? I, I mean, I love applying that idea of opening up space um, in the spiritual atmosphere through prayer um, and worship, uh, applying exactly what you're saying to this idea that there is this other realm that we all participate in that isn't necessarily seen um, with our eyes, but is felt with our bodies and with our emotions. Um, so I'm just, rem you know, ruminating on how that could apply to prayer life in the same way. Spaces for prayer, spaces for people to come together, um, to join together in an embodied way, in an act of worship, in an act of submission and laying down your desires for the desire of the whole and for God's desires. Yeah. I'm going to invite uh, Han Lee up again. Uh, they are going to invite us into such a space that music creates uh, through their work and, and offer another song for us. And also, before you jump into your song, could you give us a website or location for which people can find more of your music? Yeah, so our website is hanaleesong.com, and it's spelled H-A-N-N-A-L-E-E, song.com. Yep. <laughs> yep, and and also for those of us in our who are here tonight in our live audience, there's also um, wonderful stocking stuffers available from them in the back room that we'll talk about more as we go through the show. Yeah. That's true. Yes. Sounds better in tune. Till he appeared and 
its work. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices and yonder breaks a new and glorious Thank you. And as we come back, we'll hear more from them and our panelists as we return to the Kindling's Muse here at our Christmas show here in Fremont. And we'll see you in a minute. Welcome back, everyone, to the Kindling's Muse here at Hales Ales Brewery and Pub. I'm your host, Jeff Cuse, with Jeff Overstreet, with Shannon Sigler and Anna Miller. We also have Hannah Lee, who are our musical guests tonight for our Christmas show. And uh, we are going to have them introduce our second section with another song. So step on up to the mics. Okay. This is an original 
winter tune. Um, we were talking a little bit about our CDs back there. We spent a year of our life making four seasonal EPs. Mm -hmm. uh, that was with the first baby. We're always pregnant. I'm joking. About this. Always pregnant. Uh, but you guys can't see it <laughs> if you're listening. Sorry. Uh, apologies for breath control and everything. But um, this is a, an original. That was breath. Breath control. Breath control. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> enunciate. Oh, God. I'll stop talking. Here, you take over, Mike. My understanding is that the next uh, section of the evening here uh, has something to do with reflecting on the holiday season, the Christmas season, all of the Christmas seasons that have come before in your life, uh, the reflections that, that you might have thinking about Christmas in general. And this song is that for us. It's called Winter, Winter.
Thank you, Hannah Lee. And a good reminder as we look back on Christmas past and as we now in this section begin to look at what Christmas is. One of the things for me has always been about Christmas as we begin to kind of settle into a conversation about that is the resources that we think about what Christmas is and does. My, one of my youngest memories is when I came back to Seattle. Um, I was living in Hawaii uh, when I was born and then lived in Guam for a time. Uh, I came back to visit Seattle when I was six. And coming back to Seattle, I came back in the winter and it was cold and it was snowy and my grandfather took me down to downtown Seattle uh, to what was the big department store down at that time, Frederick and Nelson. For some people of a certain age will remember Frederick and Nelson's. <laughs> and a big shout out for nostalgia in the room. Um, and Frederick and Nelson was always famous for having a train display that you could walk up to the glass and press a hand against the glass and the trains would move if you touched it. Now my grandfather brought me down there with his hand and we went downtown to see these trains. And I didn't understand why they kept starting and stopping. And he told me, he said, if you put your hand just right there, everything will start. And so he took the glove off of my hand and he pressed it against the cold glass that just made a silhouette of steam around my glasses that touched it in the cold. And all the lights came on, the village lights came on, the train started moving. And I just was transfixed by the fact that everything was moving by a simple touch. And to this day, that has always been my image of what the Incarnation was about. That in the midst of cold and brokenness and heartache, somewhere and somehow, flesh touched our world in a very powerful way that set everything in motion, all the lights in motion. What I thought was magic was really the coming of the Christ um, into my life at a very young age. And as we sit into this season of Christmas now and think about that, one of the things I would like us to reflect about in a panel is what, what has Christmas been for us and what are some ways we've seen it? Um, one of the parts of Christmas has been um, new discoveries, unexpected visitors that we certainly get in this season. And Anna, we were talking earlier about a way that you've experienced that recently and I'd love for you to share some of that as well. Yeah, just yesterday actually um, at my church, Seattle Vineyard, our two of our elders, Bill and Julie Clark, were sharing and preaching together and they, they called up um, a couple, well, just the husband of a couple of a uh, Muslim couple who's here living in Seattle, and the husband came here to study, so he came here from Libya with um, a student visa and, and funding, supposedly, to study here, and with everything that's happening in his homeland, he no longer is covered. He no longer has support, um, and he came up and basically shared about his struggle, shared about his um, depression. His wife is pregnant right now. Um, so it, it was a very tangible um, analogy of the Christ story um, of Mary and Joseph in a very contextual context um, today. And so that was something that I wanted to bring to us to remind us that this is still happening and that we are still part of this larger story that we relive every year. Um, it's actually happening around us to people that are our neighbors, um, to people that we walk by on the streets, to maybe our taxi cab drivers, to the people who check us out when we're Christmas shopping. Like, this is a reality for them. Um, so that was something that I wanted to bring um, as a reminder today. Yeah. And so as we even think about the news with refugee crises and kind of people trying to find a sense of home, you know, this is happening right near in our midst. Um, 
So, Jeff, as you think about what is Christmas for you, and as far as you think about resources for Christmas past, and as you think about what that means, what are some things you bring to that discussion of Christmas? Well, I grew up in uh, a family that was very, very centered on family. And, um, you know, we had a church community, we had a school community, but it was all sort of one Christian community that was very close-knit. And the Christmases I remember were very focused on a couple of things. One, a, a certain aesthetic of everything looking perfect, you know. I, mean, I remember being at my, my grandparents' house and my, my great-aunt's house, and both were just elaborately decorated with these little Christmas village scenes, very Thomas Kincaidy. everything was perfect and flocked with fake snow and little ceramic cats by the fireplace looking up at you and, and snow globes everywhere. And I remember about that, um, they're very intense conversations about the quality of, of these pieces. And I think that's where maybe even a, uh, a becoming a critic began for me. It was like, well, this, <laughs> this very kitschy art is, is maybe not as good quality as this. And, um, but there was such a focus on comfort um, that I felt entirely safe. And so there were so many songs I sang with the family. That's when it really came alive for me, was in music and in reading the gospel story, and then in the creativity of giving to one another, that incredible effort of making sure you've made something for everybody. That's where Christmas really felt real to me. Um, but there was also so much focus on manner and everything looking just right that I remember, also remember an incredible pressure. And so this year, Anne and I both, my wife and I, find ourselves nearing the end of our graduate studies with incredible pressures and things we need to get done, not able to celebrate like we're used to. It feels very wrong not to have a tree in our house, not to have time to decorate. And um, I'm finding more and more these little reminders that just sort of jump out at me from lyrics and poems and even just notes on Facebook sometimes um, that maybe, maybe this is the year we practice receiving. Maybe this is the year we realize it's not about living up to everybody's expectations and, and making sure we haven't forgotten everybody. Maybe this is a year that we, we rest and try and open ourselves up to how God wants to sustain us through this time. And it's nothing compared to like a refugee story. But in my relative experience, it, it feels strangely awkward not to be so worried about taking care of everybody. And uh, I think that's, that's practice for me in, in learning uh, not to make it about uh, myself and my, my reputation, but about seeing what God wants to surprise us with. Yeah, so. yeah. And it's a good reminder for us in the midst of a consumer culture where we are so driven to, if, if we're not providing for as many people as possible, maybe I'm not doing enough, right? I mean, this year, you know, 2015, we celebrate the 50th anniversary, 50 years of a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, 1965 on CBS, you know, this special hit the airwaves, right? And, you know, this message in the mid-60s of consumerism taking over the world. Um, and here we are 50 years later still asking that question again. And, um, and that great reminder in the Charlie Brown Christmas that admits, you know, Vince Gabraldi's seemingly minor chord jazz soundtrack, which has enriched so many people's lives, that there's still sadness that we need to have, but we also need to receive, you know, and the fact that, you know, the end, the great denouement of that story, you know, is that, you know, this little seemingly dead tree, once it receives a community of love around it, becomes something more. 
yet. So that so maybe that that's a great word, you know, that you kind of left us with is that maybe this is a season for those listening in our podcast and also our audience. Maybe this is a season of receiving as well for Christmas. What about you, Shannon? What are some things that you're bringing to Christmas and what Christmas is for you and your family in this season? Oh, that's a good question. There's so many things swirling around in my head right now. Um, in the past year, I've lost both of my grandmothers. Um, they were the last two living grandparents um, that I had in my family, and I was close to both of them in very different ways. And they both had a lot of meaning for me in terms of what holidays meant as well. Um, for example, my grandparents from New Orleans, I grew up in Louisiana in the South, and um, my grandparents from New Orleans would come up every year and stay with us. So I was displaced, much like Mary, <laughs> um, in, into a couch or my sister's room, and my sister got the couch. So every year, Christmas for me, I was sleeping somewhere else. So I have these very clear memories of Christmas Eve because I was never in my room. Um, it was a different place. And as I grew older, um, I was always the one in my family who was a little bit fringy in terms of faith. Like I was the one who was really serious about it. And growing up in the South, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Christian bubble of the South, that may sound a little strange to you, but um, to sincerely follow Christ sometimes was a little shocking to people um, because everyone considered themselves a Christian. And so I was one of those weirdos. And so I was staying up at like age 13, staying up in my sister's bed, reading the gospel narratives and the birth of Christ and reading about Mary, pondering things up in her heart while being displaced and didn't really realize that I was really resonating with what Mary was saying. And, and that sounds a little bit silly, but um, as I've grown up in my faith, I realized that those moments were really formative for me of sitting in that room by myself, trying to figure out what Christmas was. Um, it was before I really had an understanding of Advent. Um, now, fortunately, I'm married to a liturgist who's sitting right here. Um, my husband is Matt Sigler, and he um, is, teaches at SPU, and our family now um, really embraces Advent um, as a season of waiting, not only for uh, the Christ child, but also for our coming King. So it's been really interesting and wonderful to think about raising our child in this different space where you're not sort of stumbling into what this means by accident because you're not in your own bedroom, but you're really thinking about what does this mean besides getting presents, which is sometimes a challenging thing to combat its power. Um, but yeah, so I've had a lot of kind of different thoughts this year um, with the first year without my grandmothers and how yeah. that's shifting. So, Well, th that idea of displacement, also that, that idea of loss, and one of the things that certainly is part of Christmas is this notion that we're losing something. Um, you know, both the narrative of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel as they look at the genealogies that move through these generations to get to the birth of Christ as much as you gain this Messiah, you're also losing so much. You lose traditions that people had been living into in their families, and the Messiah comes and tells them, maybe there's new traditions that are coming. Uh, there's a new family line that now people are going to be brought into, and all of a sudden we're going to have Gentiles showing up at dinner, for goodness sake. Um, you know, and so things are going to be shifting and changing. And so as much as people celebrate the coming of a king, something coming, there's also loss. And so we remember at this time of year the loss of loved ones. 
uh, the, the, the things that didn't come up. I'm right now in a season where I have a number of friends who still haven't found employment this year. Uh, they, this Christmas is a time of remembering for them that they do not have the resources to provide the gifts for their family they would, or that they're going to be living in the home that they had, or have the job that they have. Um, I've been chairing some search committees and hundreds of people applying for jobs who I've had to say no to in the past couple of weeks. So that sense of loss is as much as part of this uh, season as well. And in our third part, we're going to be talking more even about resources for that and looking for ways to kind of find resources in the midst of loss as well during this time. Uh, one of the poets that I come to during this time, which is probably not the most typical poet at Christmas, is Sylvia Plath, um, who um, oftentimes is seen as a very dark poet. Um, but in one of her poems called Black Rook, she finds a space of miracle in the midst of darkness. And I thought I'd read it at this point. On a stiff twig up there hunches a wet black rook, arranging and rearranging its feathers in the rain. I do not expect a miracle or accident to set the sight on fire in my eye, nor seek any more of the dulcetory weather some design, but let spotted leaves fall as they fall without ceremony or portent. Although I admit I desire occasionally some back talk from the mute sky, I can't honestly complain. A certain minor light may still lean incandescent out a kitchen table or chair, as if a celestial burning took possession of the most obtuse objects now and then thus hollowing an interval otherwise inconsistent by bestowing lagris, honor, one might say love. Well, at any rate, I now walk weary, for it could happen, even in this dull, ruinous landscape, skeptical yet politic, ignorant, of whatever angel any choose to flare suddenly at my elbow. I only know that a rook, ordering its black feathers, can so shine as to seize my senses, haul my eyelids up, and grant a brief respite from fear of total neutrality. With luck trekking stubborn through this season of fatigue, I shall patch together a content of sorts. Miracles occur. If you care to call those spasmatic tricks of radiance miracles, the wait's begun again, the long wait for the angel, for that rare random descent. And part of what Sylvia Plath is getting at in that poem is if we would just open our eyes maybe a little bit more than usual, maybe in the bird on the wire, maybe in the fleck of light on the soil in the morning, that maybe we'll see that something is still going on in our world, that maybe it's not so burned out, so broken, so left behind as we think it is, but maybe this Christmas a small miracle can add to the miracles that we need. So I'd like to invite Han Lee back up again uh, to give us some of their miracle of music um, as they play for us yet another song uh, to lead us into our third section tonight. and they will know the way watch for where the broken people 
need you and longing not to go will come to stay. Once a day works wonders for your health. Find the ones who opened up and found you and lead them down the road to lose yourself. Such risings and fallings inside you come dancing like la 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 la. My mother, my father, I know you. I'm going to vomit. before you fall before her kneeling further still laughing with the children who adore you empty out your heart to get your fill like cold rushing waters inside you come spinning like la 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 my mother my father I know you I'll see you joy that's born within you drawing near to those who've done the same welcoming the end as you begin to fade into the light from which you came such colors and flashings inside you come singing like la 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 my mother my father I know to our panelists. We're going to be coming back in just one minute for some more reflections on resources for Christmas to you'll be wanting to listen to and watch coming into the new year. This is the Kinlinks Muse here at Hales Esm Brewery. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Kindling's Muse here at Hales Ales Brewery and Pub. I'm Jeff Kuse, your host, with Jeffrey Overstreet, Shannon Sigler, and Anna Miller. Uh, we've had a great evening discussing the year that has come, uh, Christmas, and what Christmas has meant to us in the past. And we're also going to move into talking about resources as we move into the Christmas season uh, for those listening uh, to use and to reflect on as they go into the new year. Uh, to get us started, we're going to come back to our musical guest tonight, Han Lee. Let's give it up for our musical guest, Han Lee, this evening. And uh, 
Tuning party, tuning party. They're married, and they're so in tune. <laughs> Thanks. I was on this, I had to say something. We're adding a little song in here for you guys tonight. A little less rehearsed, but it's a lovely. Oh, here's the thing. I used to work here. <laughs> and so Thank did Annalisa. <laughs> I got her a job here. Well, I claim I did, but I, I told her she should come work here. And then I did. Ten years ago, oh. we were, we do, dated yeah. ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We both worked here for like three years. I think it was And we're back. Days. And it's still a wonderful place to be. Thank you for having us. Hail so thank your servers. Yep. They're working hard. They work very hard. Okay, let's see how this goes. All right, on the theme of new birth, this song is called Born Again. Come so sweet and sweet. 
to Christmas, one of the things that we think through is kind of how we've participated in this season of Advent, of new beginnings, of new birth, of new creation. Uh, Jeff, as you were on our panel last year at Christmas time, uh, we were talking about your work and what you did. Um, you began this project um, with listening closer and looking at music and, and kind of talked about that what drives you, during, you know, to really renew you is your creativity and your writing. And, and so I, th I thought I'd have you share tonight some of the work that you've been doing uh, with us tonight and kind of and, and can give us some context for what you're about to read for us. Sure. Um, in the MFA program, we, are, we focus very much on the power of particularity. And um, in writing an essay about Christmases growing up, um, I mentioned some of the carols that were important to me. And I thought, well, particularity, I should say which carol? And I said, well, you know, as a very young child, probably Away in a Manger. Okay, particularity, which, which version of Away in a Manger? And I thought, well, when I, when I hear it in my head, I hear Mahalia Jackson. Okay, which recording? The Goodyear Great Songs of Christmas LP on which uh, Mahalia Jackson appeared. That, so I thought, you know, I'm going to write about that. What, I don't have much to say about that. I mean, that's just one recording. And I started writing, and a few hours later I stopped. And I have edited those few hours considerably for what I'm going to share with you. I'm four years old, maybe younger. I'm uncomfortable Bundled up in heavy winter layers, surrounded by boots, jeans, women's long coats, and men's puffy jackets, like I'm stuck in a crowded walk-in closet. My mother's hand is a lifeline in this stumbling trudge of pedestrians through a shadowy, sheltered space. Carols fall from heaven, or rather, from speakers hung at intervals along this labyrinth. I hear jingle bells. I catch glimpses through the crowd of tiny make-believe make Christmas cottages where animatronic elves repetitively prepare packages and sleighs. And then it happens. Immediately to my left, winter coats separate like curtains, revealing the low, rough rails of a wooden fence. Between the rails, a face comes into sharp, startling focus, a long and gentle face regarding me up close. Email to mom. Mom. Do you remember taking me to a crowded Christmas maze of some kind when I was little? I remember a narrow path through a variety of Christmas-related sights and sounds. I think it was outdoors or, or in an open-air structure because I seem to remember we were wearing heavy coats. Ring any bells? It's been 40 years. Mom replies, what you are remembering is the Alpenrose Storybook Lane. When you were little, it was set up outside Lloyd Center Shopping Mall in Portland, undercover but still open-air. One year, we hesitated to go because you had a cold, and that so often went into bronchitis. But we knew how you loved things like that, so we did go. It was a real fairyland, and yes, it was a maze, and there was a donkey. The donkey. The burrow that bore Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, that stood silently in that stable, probably exhausted and uncertain, trying to make some sense of his new surroundings and unfamiliar animals. This ordinary animal struck me speechless, froze me at the edge of the fence. 
I think it had to do with the nativity scenes. When I reached out, I did. I reached out, my hand moving like a metal plate to a magnet, my palm coming to rest against his forehead. What I was doing was learning that, yes, there was such a thing as donkey. Something from the Bible stood breathing before me. He surprised my fingers as much as my eyes, the coarse stiffness of the hair on his head, dry as the sawdust of my grandfather's workshop, my cold hand on his warm brow. He seemed resigned, withdrawn. A gust of indifference may have burst from his nose. Having been petted by a thousand people that day, teased perhaps, ears probably tugged, he had retreated to that place where livestock go when conditions must merely be endured. The thoughts and feelings I presume about those who are foreign to me often come to tell me more about myself than the others. And I think what I found in the Burroughs' silence was a truth for which I had not found words yet, a state of suspension steeped in sadness and loneliness. I wanted to tell this glum Eeyore that he was a good donkey and that everything would be okay, that he would be returned soon to the place he belonged where he would be happier. Maybe sick as I was, a little claustrophobic, I just wanted to go home, or maybe my sense that he disliked this confined space, even though all was provided for him, was a glimpse of what would become my life's most persistent challenge, answering a call to care about the world beyond my comfortable home, my stable stable, if you will. Away in a Manger is a song about safety. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle. As a lullaby for a vulnerable and defenseless baby, it's a beauty. As a comfort for a frightened child, it's reassuring. But this Jesus, this no-cry baby, doesn't that give you pause? It didn't bother me. As a child, I believed as a child. I accepted what I was taught by lyrics as much as by scripture. No contradictions occurred to me. But it wouldn't be until I was 19, reading Nikos Kazantzakis' The Last Temptation of Christ, that the stained glass image of a Superman shattered and I came to believe in a struggling human being, capable of frustration and anxiety, a man who probably wanted to sleep near his company's campfire as the night grew cold. Some crying he made, I suspect. To believe this child never squalled is to deny his mother the pleasure of comforting him. To believe that he was never frustrated, never rebellious. To believe such a thing is to deny the magnitude of his suffering, making him incapable of knowing what we suffer, incapable of mistakes, incapable of learning. It is to deny him his burst of anger and his Gethsemane anguish. It is to deny him his humanity. Come to think of it, don't the scriptures tell us that the Holy Ghost intercedes for us in groanings too deep for words? Even the spirit can cry. I'm no longer the person who desires a direct journey from tender care in my cradle into the glory of heaven. My faith was cultivated in the comforts of home, but it became faith through hardship on roads through the wilderness between point A and point B. In retrospect, I can see how moments of doubt and darkness have become times of deep intimacy with a suffering Christ. Looking back, I don't think that Alpenrose animal was as depressed as I presumed. He must have known green grass, must have known a pasture, an open space. These things made him. But there, encroached upon by so much that was foreign to him, so much ignorance and misunderstanding, so much abuse, he drew upon the DNA that made him donkey and proved sturdy stalwart, long-suffering, and gentle. Likewise, the donkey of the nativity fulfilled his purpose not in the comforts of home, but on the road 
striving, laden with heavy burdens, without the company of others like himself, and with no promise of relief any time soon. This beast of burden has come to represent a sort of omnipresent spirit, one willing to suffer with me. He reminds me of the donkey who became, for me, both a witness to and an icon of the suffering Christ. No wonder Robert Bresson's film, O Hazard Balthazar, broke my heart. It's a profound parable about a donkey who, raised by a tender-hearted girl, is cast into a life of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. It spoke to me of the passion of the Christ more powerfully than, well, the passion of the Christ. Now, when I hear Away in a Manger, I sing some of the lines for vulnerable children. Stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Others I sing for my own difficult hours on dark roads. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever. And he comes, a comforting Christ my shoulder, having waited patiently for my call out here in the storm. I can reach out for him. He can carry me. Particularity. Never know what it will open up. Mm -hmm. but, uh, Jeff Overstreet, thank you for your leading. <laughs> Part of coming into Christmas is realizing that as much as this is a season of new birth, it is also, in the fullest sense, new creation. It is that all of creation groaning to be remade gets remade in the birth of this baby. And so part of that is us in the act of creation and being reminded of those things. And also resources to help us get recreated as well. Uh, Anna, when we were talking earlier, you were sharing some resources that you had for this time of year and thought we'd like to hear from you as well. Yeah, I'd, I'll just, you know, shout out a few. Um, one of my favorites is the Celtic Daily Prayer book. Um, it comes from the North Embria community, Northeast England, and they have a section on Advent prayers. They also have a really amazing covenant service, um, which can be used for large services or even just a gathering of friends. Another one is... Um, a book by Susan Van Zanten called Mending a Tattered Faith, Devotions with Dickinson. And it's... Um, These are about Emily Dickinson, the poet, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. She's, she's taken her poems and sort of written reflections after each one. Um, and they're meant to be read slowly and then spend about a half an hour or so after reading the poem, reflecting on um, what thoughts come to your mind and, and how you can meditate on them. Um, I think that's an amazing thing to do during Advent. Uh, another song that I've been uh, returning to a lot is called Take a Moment by United Pursu Pursuit Band, and it kind of gets at that notion of um, remembering who we are in light of who God is, that even in our dark times and even in our times of sorrow, that God is greater and bigger than those. So that's a meditative song that I've been returning to. And um, finally, the last thing is the book of Zechariah which kind of the catchphrase in there is the Lord says, return to me and I will return to you. And I think this really gets to what we're speaking of with Advent and this waiting, but that if we take that action of returning to God, God's waiting for us regardless of um, any way that we have failed him or failed God. So those are my resources for this year. Yeah, and certainly Zechariah and his early night visions in that, in that book are all about a way of returning to God that may be unusual or peculiar. I mean, certainly we see in the New Testament that when the wise men are finally find 
Christ, um, they go home by another way. And so this may be a season for those listening in the audience that you may need to come back to God in a new way, in a way that maybe you haven't seen before, in a new path you haven't seen before. Maybe create new traditions and go home by another way. And this is a great season to try new ways, new traditions, new music, new, new, new paths. And uh, Shannon, what are some things that you want to bring as far as resources for Christmas for your family or things you've seen that have been helpful during this time of year? Yeah, um, these are a bit unorthodox, but I think um, Madeline Langle's Walking on Water, it's not an Advent resource. Um, it's a collection of reflections on art and faith. She talks a lot about her own creative process, her own doubts, her own struggles, um, and her journey, and she's very honest. They're short reflections, no more than a two or three pages each. Um, and I find that every time I read that book, there's something new for me. And um, something rises to the surface related to the, the season we're in and the story of Christ. Um, so Advent is just as good a time as any to engage that. Um, another I've been doing recently, and many of you may be familiar with it, it's, called, it's a podcast called Pray As You Go. Um, it is, I think, created by British Jesuits, and it's a 10 to 13 minute um, prayer with music and scripture. And I have a four-year-old and a full-time job and a constantly dirty apartment, and so this is a really nice way for me to pray as I go. Um, and another thing um, would be to spend some time with something you wouldn't ordinarily spend time with. So I had a professor once that made students spend 45 minutes in front of one work of art. Um, you weren't supposed to write anything. You were just supposed to look at it and let it tell you what it wanted to tell you. And 45 minutes is a really long time in front of one piece of art. Um, I once made my students do 15 minutes, and they almost died. <laughs> so I, whether that's at a museum or staring at a tree or spending time with your child playing um, or spending time in a conversation you would, you would ordinarily be antsy in, um, spend some time with something that is a little bit out of the ordinary for you, some really focused time. Um, the last thing, which is much more pragmatic, if you're traveling to see family of differing political perspectives, I would advise you to watch the Saturday Night Live sketch of Adele singing Hello from the other side. It brings a little bit of relief. Um, yes, to those it moments. So it is. It is a fantastic clip that if you have it not seen it, it's just again it <laughs> proves pro it proves yet again that Adele will bring the world together. That's right. Uh, in ways that maybe we had never seen before. Uh, you know, some resources that I've come to that in my own practice of getting ready for Christmas. I've I've never I've had a very strange relationship with Christmas my entire life. I it's it's a I keep looking for the dark side of it as opposed to the light side of it, which is, says a lot about me, I think, or my need for um, yeah, better medication. I don't know. Um, but but certainly, with I think, with Christmas, one of the movies that I watch every year by myself because no one in my family likes it is It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and I, it's, I love my family dearly, but um, none of my children consider it to be a very good film. And so I watch it by myself oftentimes. And I weep at the end every time. And um, But every year, I see something different in the film. So my viewing this year, um, that I always kind of say, what is, so it's my Lectio Divina of It's a Wonderful Life. What jumps out at me that this year? And this year, um, which, really, which really hit me in a way that I hadn't really thought about before, 
was, and, and I, I see it, but I, I didn't really kind of felt it, was the scene where George Bailey is coming back and, and he's, he's bankrupt and he doesn't have the, and, and you know, his uncle has lost the money and he comes into the house and um, his daughter is practicing the piano and she's kind of trying to get the piano piece right. And I have daughters who are mu you know, musicians and they're practicing the violin, they're practicing the French horn in the house. And he comes in after a very long day, totally depressed. His life is totally going crazy. He starts screaming and yelling, knocking things over in the house. It's the most dark, noir kind of moment you could imagine in a, in a so-called Christmas film. And, and he tries to repair the situation by saying, oh, go on, Janie, play the piece again. And she just basically says, oh, daddy, and just starts crying on the piano. And um, let's just say that I've had that moment in my life. And, um, and what I love about that moment is dark and as awful as it is, and as, as George Bailey is just absolutely, totally ruined, you know, his family in the midst of that, is that when he storms out of the house, uh, Mary, his wife, gathers the children together in a very kind of hallmark card kind of way and says, let's pray for daddy, you know, how should we, you know, let's pray for him together. And what I, love, what I love about the scene, what really hit me this, this year, I think, in seeing that, is so much of, I think, the life of faith and the life of our confidence, and, and this is kind of, kind of American triumphalism, is we feel like if we're not in the room, things don't happen. Um, if I'm not there taking care of it, things don't happen. If I'm not there watching this, things don't happen. And George Bailey falls apart and rushes out in the street, you know, and has his encounter with, you know, an angel and all of this. But what's happening in the house when he's gone is the real work. And it, what it reminded me of is that when I'm away from my family, when I'm away from friends, there are people praying for me, remembering me, thinking about me. And oftentimes, I'm too egocentric to remember that there are people actually caring and loving me when I'm not in the room. Um, and it actually floored me to make me think about the fact that Christmas is about God encircling us and watching us even when we're not paying attention, uh, which is a good reminder for me um, in many ways. And George Bailey taught me yet another lesson again. Um, as we kind of begin to uh, turn uh, to um, the last part of our, 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 our time tonight, I wanted to, to close with a poem, and then we're going to um, kind of do some last-minute conversation here at the table, one from Wendell Berry. Uh, and Wendell Berry's poem, Remembering That It Happened Once. Remembering that it happened once, we cannot turn away the thought as we go out cold to our barns towards the long night's end that we ourselves are living in the world that happened in when it first happened. That we ourselves, opening a stall, a latch thrown open countless times before, might find them breathing there, foreknown, the child bedded in straw, the mother kneeling over him, the husband standing in belief he scarcely can believe in light that lights them from no source we see. In April morning's light, the air around them joyful as a choir. We stand with one hand on the door looking into another world. That is this world, the pale daylight coming just as before, our chores to do, the cattle all awake, our own frozen breathing hanging in front of us. And we are here, as we have never been before, sighted as not before, our place holy, although we knew it not. And as we come to the close tonight, we'd like to give our uh, panelists a chance to kind of share one last thing. And my last thing is those last words that our place is holy, though we often don't know it not. And my hope as you go into Advent is to realize you're going to be stepping and moving into places that are holy, even though you may not know it. 
um, which is the exciting thing about Advent and the awakening thing for us. And so I'll start with Jeff. What's one last thing you want to share with us tonight? Well, first I was thinking earlier that I had the same ritual of watching you know, that Christmas movie all by myself because my family won't watch it with me and I see something we got to get together. Every time. <laughs> uh, Why have we never had this conversation? Well, because my Christmas movie is Die Hard. Oh, right. So it's just every time it's the same thing. <laughs> Which is so similar to It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> um, you know, you were talking. You can, you can basically divide the world, can't you, between who thinks Die Hard is a Christmas movie and those who don't. And, and, th- and those people are wrong. Right, right. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. know that the guy who wrote Silent Night, his name is Hans Gruber, who is the villain in Die Hard. Yep, yep, there you go. All right. Um, Hashtag use, mind blown. Uh, okay, there you go. Using my time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you were talking Jeff, earlier about, about uh, new beginnings and finding, finding uh, that revelation in a new way. Um, I, in, in the MFA program, I also wrote an essay about a, a very close friend from high school who, f- who found Christ and was saved in this very dramatic event uh, in the last couple of weeks before high school graduation. And we were very close through all of that. And then he, and then he lost his faith um, and has really struggled and um, dug deep into all different kinds of philosophy trying to make sense of his life. And it's been a real wound for me to have lost not only the treasure of that memory, but our, our friendship and relationship. And as I was writing about that, I was also reading for the program Simone Weil, uh, waiting for God, and I came across this, and it just spoke to me. This was something I need to receive this Advent, to take the pressure off of me <laughs> and, and give that whole situation to God and, and hopefully others seeking God in other, on other roads of truth. She writes, For it seemed to me certain, and I still think so today, that one can never wrestle enough with God If one does so out of pure regard for the truth, Christ likes us to prefer truth to him because before being Christ, he is truth. If one turns aside from him to go toward the truth, one will not go far before falling into his arms. And I just felt the pressure lift. Yeah. It was a blessing. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good word. Yeah, Shannon, what about you? Do you have one thing to share with us? Tonight? I have two things. Two things, all right. First thing is, despite how theologically uh, pronounced you may have thought I was this evening, my favorite Christmas movie is actually National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yes. Mine so. too! <laughs> yes! So we should get together. Um, but to, to end on something, um, back to Madeline Langle. Um, and a little bit of your Wendell Berry poem. Um, you've been here before, but you may not remember. Mm-hmm. One of the quotes from Walking on Water is, art helps us to remember things we have forgotten, um, both personally and corporately, I think, that these creative spaces help us to remember, and remembering helps us move forward um, mm-hmm. year after year, advent after advent. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good word. Anna, what about you? I think I want to circle back to Zachariah again and just point out that it's not an individual return. It's a corporate return to God. Um, It's a generational return, generations who have not returned to God in the way that God has wanted them to and has laid out for them the perfect way to. Um, And I think that's something that's really poignant for what's happening specifically in our country this year, but also in the world, like what if 2016 was the year that we actually corporately together returned to our Lord? Yeah, 
a good word. So tonight as we gather around, as we get ready for the coming of Christ that is Advent, uh, I want to also invite you to become part of this movement, the Kindlings, uh, in a tangible way. Uh, for those who are here with us at Hales, you'll see on your table uh, a pledge card. Uh, this is the time of the year where many nonprofits, and ours included, um, ask, invite people to be part of the work that we do. Uh, we are a movement that has no full-time employees. We gather at times for the podcast here at the University of Washington, also for Kindling's Fest in the summer, our big arts conference that we'll be having again this next year. Um, we go to Sundance Film Festival in January and interview and discuss with filmmakers that are changing our culture and our myths and get conversations that help them do their work even better. And through the work that we do through our podcasts, through our conversations, through our hearth retreats, we gather artists in intimate ways to encourage their work. Uh, the Kindlings is a place where thoughtful creators for whom God is of central importance can explore ideas, can find connections, to find encouragement, and be transformed. And through this, through this podcast, through gatherings like it, we hope that you'll be part of it. If you're listening to the podcast, we encourage you to go to our website, thekindlings.com, and prayerfully consider making a year-end donation that will help us move forward in our work. And we hope that the people in the room will do that as well by making a pledge in the card and leaving it with us here tonight. Um, as we close out, which is our tradition at the Christmas show, I'd like to invite Hanali back up again. And we decide that it is not enough for us to just listen and just to receive the music, but to also be participating, be makers of art together. And so we're going to invite our audience here tonight to join us in Silent Night as we close out our Christmas show and close out 2015. But as a coming attraction for 2016, we encourage you to please uh, join us in January, where in January we will be discussing the writing and the work of Marilyn Robinson with a great panel and looking at some of her work together. We also have our February annual Oscar show coming up. So we have a great year coming up in 2016, and we expect to see you back. But for tonight, we're going to close out 2015 with Hans Gruber's great Silent Night. <laughs> <laughs> Die hard. So the thing about these Christmas songs, uh, the music is so pretty in some of them, and it's easy to get sick of these songs that you've heard so many times as you're walking around in Target or wherever you are and they're <laughs> playing. You've heard it a million times, and you're like, oh, man, Christmas music again. But then you sit and listen, and it's so beautiful. However, uh, the lyrics are a different story. Th some of those are beautiful, too, but <laughs> since you're busy watching that Target ad, you you just remember the first verse and that's all you got and that's the boat we're in. So we're just going to sing the first verse and then we're going <laughs> to hum the music because it's so pretty. And then we're going to sing it again. So Charlie Brown style, you can do it. You guys can join in anytime you want.
Special thank you to our musical guest tonight, Hana Lee. Right. And also our wonderful panelists tonight, Jeffrey Overstreet, Shannon Sigler, and Anna Miller. I'm your host, Jeff Cuse. Thank you for having a great year, and to all, a good night.